Daniel chapter 2. We made it to Daniel chapter 2. Okay. I just finally said, you know what, we got to move on. We'll probably be here for a few weeks as well. this morning about um, about how God works in such strange and surprising ways. And uh, Daniel chapter 2 is evidence of how God is always at work. We're really just going to look at a couple verses. We're really not going to get into uh, Daniel's part this morning. We're really going to look at King Nebuchadnezzar. Anybody who can close their Bible and spell Nebuchadnezzar, I'll give them five dollars. <laughs> Moving right along. Um, I hope you guys have had a chance to read this as we've been moving through it. If not, we'll do a brief synopsis here. Everybody remember Daniel chapter 2? Daniel chapter 2 is where Nebuchadnezzar has his first dream. Uh, he has another dream a little bit later in chapter 5 and chapter 4, but in chapter 2 he has his very first dream, and if you remember this, Nebuchadnezzar is sort of sort of a crazy man, he's absolutely uh, pagan, and he's absolutely demonized, and he's absolutely evil, so when he has a dream, he decides, this is how I'm going to handle getting an answer on my dream. So he, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and it troubled his spirit, and that, that he decided that he would get up the next morning, and that he would call all of his magicians, and his enchanters and his wise men in, and he said, he said, not only do I want you to interpret the dream I had, Nebuchadnezzar says, I want you to tell me the dream I had, and then I want you to interpret it. And of course, his, his wise men and his enchanters and his magicians say, this is crazy. You can't, no one can do that. Only God can do that, which I think is great. That's what they said, you know. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, I don't care if you don't tell me what my dream is, Along with the interpretation, I'm going to rip you from limb to limb. But if you do tell me what the dream is, and you do tell me the interpretation, then I'm going to give you great riches. You've got to love Nebuchadnezzar. It's like high highs and low lows, right? <laughs> like, you get it wrong, we're not just going to kill you. We're going to rip your arms out of your shoulders. But if you get it right, then you can have all this stuff. Cool stuff. You might want to be one of his enchanters or wise ones. Any takers? Yeah, it's cool stuff. So Nebuchadnezzar comes up with this deal. And the reason that he comes up with this deal is that we're just not actually sure why he comes up with this deal. Y'all like that? I'm the pa- by the way, I'm the pastor of all the answers. <laughs> you, can, you can email all your questions to me. And I'll give you an answer for every question. No, we're not entirely sure why Nebuchadnezzar would come up with such a, such a crazy plan. Uh, some people believe that Nebuchadnezzar comes up with this plan of you've got to tell me the dream and then you've got to tell me the interpretation. Because perhaps Nebuchadnezzar had the dream 
but the next morning it was sort of foggy, but it disturbed his heart. Any of y'all ever had that happen to you? Yeah. That sort of makes sense, right? So maybe, maybe I think most of us in the room have had this experience where you go to sleep, you have a dream, you know that you dream. Like even even while you're asleep and even while you're dreaming, you know that you're dreaming and you, you know it's important. Anybody ever had that happen? And then you get up the next morning and it just kind of it leaves like the fog leaves that gets burned off by the noonday sun. But the but the impression, like what it did to your heart remains. Yeah, there's a really good chance that perhaps that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And so he comes up with this this crazy plan of, I don't know just the interpretation, but you've got to tell me what the dream was. That could have been it. We just don't know. The other part that it could have been, it could have just been that Nebuchadnezzar is totally evil and crazy, and he likes pulling people's arms out of socket. Also could have been that all of these guys... All of these wise men, all of these enchanters, all of these magicians, they most likely work for his dad. And so this is the first time that Nebuchadnezzar can really test their loyalty to him. And so he's going to find out who's with us, who's not. He's a shrewd man, this Nebuchadnezzar. But at the end of the day, we don't know why. But that's not even the point I want to focus on this morning. Here's what I want to focus on. I don't know if you noticed this, but Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And who did the dream come from? It's not a trick question, I promise. Anyone? God. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Thank you, Andrew. By the way, Andrew, from now on, I just want you to you just answer with confidence for the rest of your life. So Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and the dream was from God. And this is really cool. God is speaking to evil pagan kings. This is really cool. So I hope you caught that. Because that's really what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about God speaking to evil, pagan people who are far from Him and don't know Him. That's all we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, Before we can get fully into that, because we have a lot of new faces that I don't know, but we need to start at the very beginning. Before God can speak to evil, pagan kings, we need to establish just some really basic things about who God is and the way life works. The first thing we need to establish is that God just, He's a speaking God. He just loves talking. In fact, it's so near to to His heart. It's actually who He is. It's His nature. So if you remember in the book of Genesis, when God made the heavens and the earth, He did it with words. So creation came by words. Not only that, but when He set Adam and Eve in the garden, He walked around with them in the cool of the day. And how many of you know that when you walk around with people, you talk to them? So he's this very relational God. He he, he speaks. Creation was formed by his words. He puts Adam and Eve in a garden. He comes along and he walks with them. And so he's speaking with them. And then we talked a little bit about last week about how God is shouting in the whispers. God is this whispering God. Uh, Elijah had this experience that God wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the wind. But he was in the still, small voice. It's who he is. He's a speaking God. He's talking all the time. And one of the things that we've picked up on, I hope, if you've, uh, if you've been with us for any period of time, or if you've just been in church, you've probably picked up on this, that the Bible, from the beginning to the end of the Bible, it's a story about how God intervenes and speaks over and over again. First in the garden, and then in the burning bush with Moses. Moses walks up, and what does the bush do? 
which talks, you know. And then Moses, a little bit later, he goes in the tent of meeting with Joshua, and the, and the Bible tells us that God met with Moses in the tent of meeting like a friend meets with his friend, face to face. Any, any of you ever gone up to your friend and stood to them face to face and had nothing to say? <laughs> right? So by implication, if Joshua and Moses are meeting with God in the tent of meeting face to face, there's words exchanged. So God speaks to Adam and Eve in the garden. He speaks to Moses out of a burning bush in the tent of meeting face to face. And then one of the things that the Bible captures for us is that God has spoken most clearly to us by His Son, by Jesus. It's the clearest word that we'll ever get from God is His Son, Jesus. And the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. What's the Father like? It's just like Jesus. God has communicated His heart and His message to us by His Son. And now He's communicating to us by the Spirit. He lives on the inside. He's that inner witness, that, that little nudge on the inside. <coughs> And if you grew up in church at all, of course, you're thinking, well, well, what about the Bible? Doesn't God speak to us by the Bible? Well, yeah, of course God speaks to us by the Bible. It's one of the great places where you can go and get the Word of God. But one of the things, and this is one of the things I wanted to mark out for us right now, is that the point of the Bible is to show us what life with God is like. Does this make sense? The point of the Bible is to show us what God is like and what life with God is like. Not merely to be read and taken at a limited face value. This makes sense. So God's Word is in the Bible, not just in the words that are on the page, but on the experiences that it outlines and calls legal, if that makes sense. So a lot of us in the room, everybody in the room knows that the Bible is the Word of God, but the Bible isn't the only Word of God. The Bible is an invitation. It's the menu to a much larger meal that's possible to be feasted upon with God. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says that the Bible is an invitation to an experience. See, a, a lot of people in the church are trapped in the mindset that the Bible is the Word of God, but they never get to meet the God of the Bible. Like, like they read the book, they read the book, they read the book, and they read it, and they get it all, and then at the end of it, they've never met the person who wrote it. And that's the great tragedy. And that's the first thing that we have to come through this morning before we get to where we where, we want to land is this is this very key thing, and it's key for all of your life, is that God is speaking. Um, this is really good news, by the way. God is speaking, and He's speaking through the Bible, and He's speaking outside of the Bible. Uh, God is speaking to people who have Bibles, and God is speaking to people who don't have Bibles. God is speaking to people who read Bibles all the time, and He is speaking to people who steadfastly refuse to read the Bible. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna. By the end of this, I'm gonna blow up all kinds of mindsets for you. Okay, <laughs> like whatever religious threads we have, we're gonna set all of those on fire by the time this is over. <laughs> yeah, there are people out there who are running around who have Bibles and have actually said in their heart, "I will not read the Bible," and God will talk to them. He's talking to them right now. God is speaking through the Bible. He's speaking 
outside of the Bible. He is speaking to people who have Bibles. He's speaking to believers. He's speaking to the people of God who meditate on the Bible. And he's speaking to people who have steadfastly said in their heart, I will not open the Bible. I hate it. Why? Because he's really kind. Yes. So number one, God's, God is speaking. He's just speaking all the time. Why? Because it's who He is. He can't help it. He's relational. You know, God is not a brain in heaven. You know, we have these concepts of God that work like this, you know. Well, God is omnipresent. God is all powerful. He knows everything. And by the way, all of those are true. But what we reduce who God is down to this caricature of who He really is and what we end up with is this concept that God is a floating brain in heaven who knows everything about everyone. And it couldn't be further from the truth. God is a person who loves people and loves them so much that He communicates with them. And He doesn't just communicate with them so that He can boss you around. You know the point of God's communication isn't just to boss you around? It's to, it's, it's to share His affectionate heart toward you. Yeah. So number one, God is speaking. He's speaking through the Bible. He's speaking outside of the Bible. He's speaking to people who have Bibles and read them all the time. He's speaking to people who have said, I will never read the Bible. And one of the main ways that he's speaking, this is part two, is he's speaking through dreams. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and it troubles his heart. The second most common way in Scripture that God talks to people is through dreams. Y'all remember some of the dreamers? <coughs> Joseph is a dreamer, has a, has a dream in his... He's just a young boy. He's like 16 before he gets thrown down well. And I love it. Joseph has a dream. One of the dreams that Joseph has is that he dreams of 11 stars. That all the 11 stars come and bow before him along with the sun and the moon. And he wakes up the next morning and he goes, By the way, great news. I had a dream last night. And there was 11 stars and the sun and the moon that came and bowed before me. By the way, I think it's you guys. He's looking at his brothers and his mom and his dad. Joseph's a dreamer. Daniel is an interpreter of dreams. And by the time we get through this book, we'll see that Daniel's having his own dreams and visions. Uh, maybe you remember Joseph, the husband of Mary. You know the reason that Joseph didn't divorce Mary? He had a dream. And in a dream, an angel said, I know this is crazy. I know you think Mary's been sleeping around on you. She actually has it. She's actually, it's, I know it's crazy, but she actually is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I know that fries your brain. And Joseph took it as the word of God over his life. Jesus has a dad because Joseph believed in dream. Joseph is one of my favorite people in the whole Bible because he gets, he never gets talked about at Christmas time. I hate that. It's like Mary and God and Jesus, you know? It's like, what about Joseph? Like, Mary had actual, actual angels come into the room. Joseph had an angel in a dream, and he was faithful. Jesus had that because Joseph believed in dream. And it's, the, it's one of the most common ways that this speaking God communicates to people. How many of you guys are dreamers? Yeah. God is speaking because He's relational and He wants to share His affectionate heart with you. He wants to share life with you. And one of the main ways that God is speaking to people all over the planet as he's speaking through dreams. Um, Muslim men and women all over the planet are having dreams about Jesus and giving their life to him. 
God, God's communicating His heart through dreams all the time. It's not just pizza. <laughs> it really isn't just pizza. Uh, we say that all the time. It's like, man, I had weird dreams last night. It's probably the pizza. I ate. It really probably wasn't the pizza. <laughs> Here's the thing I don't understand. Like, if it's the pizza you ate that gives you weird dreams, why doesn't the pizza you eat give you weird days? <laughs> Like, if that logic works, then shouldn't your day be stranger when you eat pizza? <laughs> That's really pathetic. and really pathetic. You, you should probably write that down. It sounds like a joke, but it's explaining a lot of your life. <laughs> so God is speaking because He's a relational, communal God. And one of the main ways He's speaking is He's speaking through dreams. Everybody here is having dreams. And they're almost always from God. They're almost always from the spirit realm. Then you ask yourself, why does God choose to work and speak through dreams? Well, it's really simple. Because when you go to sleep, your body falls asleep, but your spirit stays awake. And you're vulnerable to it. See, when you're awake, you can disregard. See, when your body's awake and your mind's awake... It's easy to disregard the Lord. And it's not even because it's coming from a bad heart, but it's becoming, it happens because life, culture, family, experience, uh, busyness has taught us to disregard the presence of God in the moment and has trained ourselves to be unaware of who He is and where He is and when He is. And so oftentimes God says, okay, if that's the way it has to be, that's the way it has to be. And when you go to sleep, you'll be vulnerable to me. And I'll come to you. Your body might be asleep, but your spirit is fully alive and awake to you. See, I don't, I don't dream too much, but when I do, it's usually from God. I hardly ever dream, but when I get a dream, it's from the Lord. Um, I had a dream right before Seth was born. And at this time, we thought Seth was a girl. We had two ultrasounds that said Seth was a girl. Uh, had the, the room was pink, clothes were pink. We didn't even have boy names. We only had girl names. We were, we were naming Nova. And, uh, and I had a dream right before Seth was born. And in the dream, the Lord came to me and said, Your second born will move in signs and wonders. And it's really interesting. I thought it was a girl. She didn't say your second born. Or your daughter. Uh, he didn't say your daughter's going to live in signs and wonders. He just said your second born will live in signs and wonders. Came to me and I thought that was really interesting. Heather has a baby, comes out a boy. Okay, I see you. <laughs> but it's a promise over his life. I got it in a dream. And uh, of all my children, Seth is the most likely to drop the healing bomb on you. <laughs> he really is. His teacher this year at school, this is hysterical, his teacher um, told her class in a weak moment, she said, man, guys, my, my head is really hurting. I wish y'all would pray for me. And in her context, what she means when she asks for prayer is, when you go home tonight, would you pray for me? But she didn't have time to explain that, and Seth just stands up and he just walks right up to <laughs> 
most likely to just do that. We didn't make him do that. It's just the plan of God over his life revealed to me in a dream before he was born when I thought he was a girl. (laughs) (laughs) It's cool. I had another dream um, about two years ago. I, I can't hardly even call it a dream because there were almost no pictures. <clears throat> but I was asleep. And while I was asleep, I was aware that I was asleep and that God was coming. I, I can't, this is strange stuff. You know how this stuff works. But in my sleep, I'm aware that I'm asleep. And I'm aware that while I'm lying there, that God's about to come to me. And so I said, don't steal. And... While I'm asleep, God comes to me, and I hear this voice, and it it was a rather small voice, and all he said was, Adam, get everybody ready, my kingdom is coming. And then he left. I I have these really weird dreams. It was really, really significant, and it kicked off this season of a lot of things that I don't have time to go into. So I don't dream often, but when I do, it's, it's the Lord. Now, my wife and me the name dreams all the time. And they're almost always strategic for our family. Like, we've avoided major, major mistakes, screw-ups, things that would have set us back for years because God spoke to us in the dream through heaven. Um, probably one of the most profound dreams that shaped our life in the last three or four years uh, was a dream that the Lord gave not to me or Heather, but gave to one of our good friends and... Uh, in Franklin, Tennessee. Some of you guys know those. Uh, some of you guys know uh, Lucy Amaro. Our Brazilian friend. Well, Lucy has dreams, and she's one of, our, she's one of the main, main prophetic voices in our life. And, uh, Lucy oftentimes has dreams for us, and she'll call us, and when she tells us what she has, it's like everything that's happened and is happening is going to happen. It's got kind of a person. And she called us one day, and she said, Hey, Adam and Heather, um, I had a dream last night, and this is the dream. You're in your house, and you're just always washing dishes, and you're just always washing dishes, and the pile of dishes is never going to leave, and you guys are just washing dishes. And the reason you're washing dishes is because you're hosting people, and it's the spirit of hospitality that's on you. And uh, and then she said, and then your house went from being this farmhouse to being a skyscraper with an unlimited top. I couldn't see the top. And it was filled with people who lived and were being served by you guys washing dishes. And it was built upon this hospitality. Well, that those sort of the spirit of hospitality has sort of always been in our hearts, especially in my wife's heart. But that kicked off this profound season of bringing people in, and uh, it, it's even still going. And, uh, I'm convinced that one of my main jobs in the kingdom is to just wash dishes. I've probably washed more dishes in the last four years. It's it's crazy. I used to wash dishes with a bitter heart. I'd, I'd sit there and have my hands in the water. I was like Fred Flintstone, you know, wrestling. <laughs> Only it wasn't like that. It was like, it was very plain and clear. You could understand, <laughs> you could understand every, every foul word that was coming out of my mouth. I'm just the honest, see, I'm just the honest pastor. 
<laughs> Most pastors tell you they don't do that. You know, I'll tell you right now. I'll say it best word. <laughs> catch me in a weak moment, I'll drop a ball. <laughs> but yeah, I was usually connected to the dishes. And, uh, <laughs> but after that dream, I realized it was just the plan of the Lord over our life. And it actually, it, that dream had the power to turn the bitter well off sleep. Like, I loved having people over, but I hated the aftermath. And now I've come to enjoy the aftermath, if that makes sense. Yeah. Dreams are important. You need them. God's speaking. God's speaking. And the number one adversary to hearing the voice of the Lord is busyness and the sense that our schedule is super important. Uh, the pace of modern life militates toward hearing the voice of God. Uh, one of the reasons that life has convinced us that all of our kids need non-extracurricular activities and that they need to be on every traveling team and that in order to have a happy and healthy, balanced life that everybody has to be doing something extra and that it's totally okay to be gone seven nights a week and not be together or have a spirit of rhythm in your family. One of the reasons that's being... Uh, promoted, excelled, propagated, and accepted is because it's the spirit of the age militating against the voice of the Lord being heard in this world. Uh, that lifestyle keeps you from hearing the still small voice. It actually does. Now, don't take all your kids out of baseball. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there has to be a rhythm in your life. Uh, God, God is all about rhythm. Um, and uh, there, there is something about that lifestyle that actually draws us out of being able to hear His voice. Um, at, at the same time, it also makes the dreams that much more important. To the extent that we're unable to hear Him in the day, He's speaking to you at night. So number one, God's speaking. One of the most common ways that He's speaking is He's speaking through dreams. And then number two, this three actually, I guess that is. Number three, this is really where I wanted to start landing a little bit this morning, is that God is speaking to everybody. He's speaking to everyone. You realize that if God would speak to a pagan, demonized, wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar, that he'll speak to you. Like that's how I read that's how I read verse one. Like if God would give Nebuchadnezzar a dream that would trouble his spirit, then surely to goodness he'll include me. I've had a lot of thoughts and I've had a lot of plans. The things that have never been on my docket for today is uh, ripping people from limb to limb. <laughs> yeah. Like if God will give a man who's willing to lip, rip people from limb to limb a dream and speak to them, then he'll speak to you. He'll absolutely speak to you. It's really good news. And by the way, the dream that he gave Nebuchadnezzar, this is not just any little dream. This is like a mega massive dream. He gives Nebuchadnezzar this dream. It's about the head of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and the feet are clay and iron. And by the way, every single Bible scholar and interpreter believe that this dream is so significant that not all of it has yet been fulfilled. There are aspects of it that have been fulfilled, and then there are aspects of it that are still waiting to be fulfilled. We'll get into that maybe next week. But we're talking about a dream that was given 2,700 years ago that has had significance for 2,700 years and is continuing to have significance. We're talking about a dream that contains one of the main prophetic promises in all the Scripture. If you want to, look at your Bible at chapter 2, verse 44. 
This is a massive prophetic kingdom promise. This is when Daniel is interpreting the dream. Daniel says, And in these days, and in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all of these kingdoms, bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. We're talking about God gave a wicked, demonic, demonized, evil king a dream which contains one of the most significant prophetic promises about the kingdom of heaven coming where? Into the earth, by the way. I want you to notice that. It's not about the people getting taken off the planet and going to heaven. It's about the kingdom of heaven coming into the earth and being established. God speaks His heart and His promise to a wicked, demonized man. Will He not speak to you? I love that. So God is not only... God is a speaking God. He is oftentimes speaking through dreams. And He, he is committed to speak to... He'll, he'll just speak to anyone. He's just talking all the time. Um, this is really cool. Not a dream story, but another story about how God is speaking and confirming. Um, two weeks ago... A little over two weeks ago, I'm having a songwriters meeting with the Vineyard Songwriters. We meet on Thursday nights every two weeks from May to August to write all the songs that we're going to sing for the next year here at the Vineyard. And we had a real, we were in the middle of a really profound meeting, that first one. And every song was amazing. And right in the middle of it, I get a text message from Ray Hughes. Now, some of you guys know who Ray Hughes is. Some of you guys don't. But Ray Hughes is a prophetic man and carries carries a message of, of worship in the tabernacle of David. And he's done it for 30 years. And he's devoted his whole life to worship and songs and people and loving God and all this stuff. And then right there in the meeting where, I'm, where we're sharing nine songs... I get a text message from Ray Hughes, and Ray and I haven't chatted in about 10 months. See, that's the voice of the Lord. See, it's easy to take that, no, it's just coincidence, move on. No, it's not. It's God saying, Adam, what you're doing is important. These people are important. And I'm giving you a prophetic witness to say that this is significant, this is important, and a prophet just texted you to confirm it. I could go into what he texted and it's ridiculous. And then, connected to the same story, then I get an invitation from Ray to go do something and I get it on my birthday. See, if, if you live life with a, with, a, with a sleeping spirit, if you're awake but you're asleep, you go, oh, you don't even recognize it. But one of the things after you begin to tune into the voice of God, one of the things that you realize is when you, when you get a significant invitation on your birthday, it's the voice of God saying, Adam, you were born to do this. Right? See, one of the troubles with the voice of God is it's almost never a voice. It, it, it's, it's, almost, it's always speaking, it's almost never a voice. Yeah, so text messages and email invitations on your birthday. Wow, that's weird. Yeah, it's the voice of God. Speaking through dreams. So God will speak to anyone. If He'll speak to Nebuchadnezzar, He'll absolutely speak to you. And then right along with that, 
Uh, one of the things that we in the church need to grab hold of is that God is he's, he's working all the time. He's just always working in all kinds of places. He's working in, in all sorts of people. This is really good news for me. And it's one of the things that we in this room have got to get our minds around is that God's always working and He's working in all kinds of people in all kinds of places. And He's not just working in church with the super Christians. Like a significant part of what God is doing in Europe right now is with wicked, evil, pagan people. And this really, really matters. Um, see, God isn't just talking to the super Christians who read their Bibles every day and take notes during my sermons. Right now, God is speaking to uh, wicked politicians. Uh, right now, uh, God is speaking to people in Hollywood. Right now, God is speaking to, to burnouts, people who have smoked their minds foggy. Uh, right, now, right now, God is coming to people who are having uh, LSD trips and who are actually infecting their body with crazy drugs. And God is coming into those moments and speaking to them. He's speaking to presidents. He's speaking to prime ministers. He's speaking to kings and queens. He's speaking to people who do not acknowledge Him. He's speaking to agnostics and atheists. Right now, even God is speaking to Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins hates Jesus. And God comes and speaks to him all the time. Um, and this is really cool. No one is outside the gaze or the interest of God. No one is outside the gaze or the interest of God. Uh, this is one of the really great things about who God is. He's so gentle. He's so kind that people who do not acknowledge Him and who do, who do not like Him, God is still interested in them. And he, he proves His interest by coming and speaking to them. Um, God is speaking in crazy life events. Uh, the other night at my house, we're sharing community and fellowship with this last weekend it was me and Heather and Hannah and Sarah and Molly Williams it was me and the girls and Molly Williams and we had been given a really great bottle of wine a bottle of wine that was 18 years old from Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon like here's the thing Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon on its own is amazing but when you let that sucker sit in the bottle for 18 years it's a different animal it goes from amazing to unbelievably amazing. And so we're, we're sitting there sharing a bottle of wine that even if you have the money to buy it, you can't buy it because it's not available. It's 18 years old and all the other ones have been drank. You understand? And, it's, um, and you're sharing it with great friends. And the Spirit of Jesus is there. I can't explain it other than if you're at my table and this happens, it's amazing. And one of the things that we've committed to at my house is anytime the Spirit of Jesus shows up in a significant and profound way, I'll go to the basement and, I'll, and open one of the best bottles I have because I want to acknowledge that He is here and set no vile thing before Him. It's just my thing. You don't have to do it. It's just my thing. Alright? So after having an 18-year-old bottle of Cabernet from Napa Valley, I went to, the, to my basement and I opened up one of my bottles of Opus One that was given to me. That doesn't mean anything to most people in here. It's unfortunate. <laughs> but Opus One is like expensive. It's beyond expensive. 
It's repulsively expensive. <laughs> and we opened it up. We began to drink it. And about that time, my neighbor and very good friend, Justin, comes in. And I had just poured my glass of Opus One, and I went over and I gave him my glass, and I went back and I got another glass for myself. And if you don't live with an awareness that God is in the room and that He's speaking, those moments bypass you. But in that moment, the Lord spoke. We even said it. I even said, hey, it's prophetic. I'd given Justin my glass, and it was the beginning of Justin being called into a pastoral ministry. Come and, come and drink the cup I've been drinking. See, Justin thought he was just going to get some good wine that night, but what he, got, what he actually got was a brand new call, and he got the call to come and drink what I've been drinking. By the way, it's good stuff. Amen? See, God's speaking all the time. I love hanging out with prophetic people, by the way. It's just more fun. But right now, God, He's at work. Everywhere, all sorts of places, all sorts of people. Uh, God's at work in the schools. He's at work at your workplace, governments. Uh, God's speaking in prostitution houses. He's speaking in Wall Street, Washington D.C. And uh, the good news is he's, he's actually even still speaking in church. Hard to believe. Um, and this is really important. The, one of the reasons that it's important that God would speak to a Nebuchadnezzar is because. Um, if God is speaking to a Nebuchadnezzar, then that means it's not completely up to me to make anything happen. Yes. It's not completely up to me to make anything happen. Uh, it is up to me to be aware and to live with an awareness of where God is working. It's not up to me to make it happen. It's up to me to live with an awareness of where God is working and then join in. It's that Henry Blackity thing. Um... And that means that uh, for the church, it means that we don't have to fret about the election. We really don't have to fret about the election. There's a good, there's a good bit of the church that wants to tell you you need to fret about the election. You don't need to fret about the election. You know why? Because God's speaking to Barack Obama. He can't, Barack Obama can't get away from the voice of the Lord. And neither can any of the other guys who are going to come into that position. There's a, there's a bunch of people in America, especially in the church, especially in the right-wing part of the church, who are absolutely fretting about the election, wasting their life's energy, trying to make a decision that God will make himself. Brenda, please. <laughs> Brenda, please. Like, if God wants to talk to the president, God just talks to the president. And by the way, he talks to every president, every prime minister, every leader. We should vote, we should pray, but we shouldn't fret. And we shouldn't lose our life's energy yes. trying to change things or make things happen that are outside of your control. Right. You know what? Well, we're going to start a grassroots movement. Dude, go for it. I just believe God can talk to the president. It's a way better thing. You know what you ought to do? Take all that energy and pray that there's a Daniel next to the president. That's, that's way more effective than well, I'm going to start a grassroots movement. I'm going to waste my whole life getting all, all my neighbors to vote the same thing. And look, okay, why don't you just why don't you spend 20 minutes a week praying that a Daniel would be next to the president? Way better solution. 
See, right now God's speaking to Barack Obama, and he's speaking to Mitch McConnell. He's speaking to John Stewart and David Letterman. He's speaking to Chris Mark. He's speaking to Madonna. God is speaking to Mark Zuckerberg. He is. You know what he's telling Mark Zuckerberg? You're rich, I'm going to make you richer. God's speaking to all these guys. Speaking to Angelina Jolie. And so the, the real issue here isn't God's initiative, but rather Christians having a position of influence so that they can be translators for people of importance. Does that make sense? Yes. See, a lot, of us, a lot of us are beating our brains out trying to control things that are outside of a person's ability to control. And the real issue is, if you want to see change happen in Wall Street, if you want to see change happen in Hollywood, if you want to see change happen in Washington, D.C., the real grassroots movement is you being a person of excellence who can be a Bible translator, interpreter of God for the people who are in those positions. Like you could be a Daniel. You know one of the reasons that the very top doesn't get influenced by the kingdom of heaven is because there's very few Daniels who can come in and translate the voice of God who is speaking to Mark Zuckerberg, to Barack Obama, and to Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. It's one of the main reasons. So it's really not about us trying to work all that stuff out, it's, it's really about God has already taken an initiative to speak to people. And we know this. It's in the Scripture. Uh, y'all remember that, that, that part in the book of Acts where uh, Philip meets the Ethiopian. What's the Ethiopian doing? He's reading Isaiah. What does he say? I'm reading this. I have no idea what it means. And this is the cool part. Philip gets translated and all of a sudden he's walking beside it. He hears the guy and he hears the guy saying, I have no idea what this means. And then he goes... By the way, I know what it means. How did the gospel go to, into Africa? That moment right there. That's how the gospel went into Africa. Philip was next to an Ethiopian who was reading Isaiah, had no clue what it was, and he was in a position to influence the man. See, God's speaking all the time. The real issue is us being near it. And then finally... God is at work in all sorts of people in all sorts of places. And what that means is if he's giving dreams to Nebuchadnezzar, it means that he doesn't give up on people, even pagan kings. Even pagan kings who regularly pull people's arms out of their shoulders, along with their legs. Like God doesn't give up on people. If he will give Nebuchadnezzar a prophetic dream that is profoundly significant, we're going on 3,000 years. It, what it really communicates is that God will not give up on people. I feel like some of us in, are in here this morning and we're convinced that our own choices have disqualified us from being near God. We're, we're convinced that our own choices have disqualified us from being a part of God's mission in here. We're convinced that our own choices and the things that we've done, the things that we've been a part of, the, the horrible things that we've said have disqualified us from being a part of the good kind of life. And the good news is, if God would speak to Nebuchadnezzar, it means he doesn't give up on people, and he won't give up on you. Like some of us are completely broken down with guilt and shame. And the truth is, God hasn't given up on us. And then, likewise, um, if that's not necessarily us, then there 
are definitely some of us in the room who have people in our families, people in our lives, relationships, and and we're bordering on hopeless because we're convinced that that person has just shut themselves off too far from God. Like they, they're too entrenched in their own choices. Like they've, they've made their final decision one too many times. They've taken one too many steps. And the really good news this morning is they really, really have it. If God will speak to Nebuchadnezzar, he can, he's speaking to that person and he will not give up on them. And lastly, this is where I want to land. Um, we've already hinted at it a bit this morning, but the thing that the world needs is the world needs an interpreter. If anything, that Daniel chapter, chapter 2 shows us is that the world needs an interpreter. God's speaking. He's speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. He's speaking to Nebuchadnezzar in every form that Nebuchadnezzar has right here, right now, today. And what the world really needs is an interpreter. Somebody who knows the language of heaven. Somebody who knows how God speaks. Somebody who, who, can, who can define the terms. Somebody who can, who can understand the time and the seasons. Someone who can understand dreams. Someone who can understand the prophetic language and the way in which God talks. Someone who can understand the meaningless coincidences and tie it all together and show Nebuchadnezzar that God is among them and actually has an interest in their life. That's what the world needs. The world needs an interpreter. Somebody who can translate the voice of God. Someone who can retrieve and receive revelation. I've been to Peru and South America several times, and I've been to Chile, and I've been to Brazil. And uh, I don't speak Portuguese, and I don't speak Spanish. And the degree to which my preaching is any good at all is totally dependent upon if I have a good translator. Like, it's just crazy. When I don't have a good translator, I can be really anointed, not much happens. I can have a really good translator, and I can be really unanointed, stumbling over my words, all kinds of stuff happens. See, what the world needs is a translator. God's speaking, and it's, it's as though He's speaking Spanish to an English-speaking world. And, and the world needs an interpreter to stand up and go, I know what this means, let me tell you what it means. It's a picture of partnership. God is doing His part, and now it's time for us to recognize where He's moving. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand up? We have four areas of ministry this morning. You're on the ministry team. Come on up. The truth is, we just want to we want to pray for people this morning. If you're sick in your body, 